When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This podcast is a Royfield Brown production. Find others on iTunes. All right. Yeah, I know. Ladies and gentlemen, please remain standing for the singing of our national anthem. Let's get Brexit done. My administration has accomplished more than almost any administration in the history of our country. Atlantic Pundits and listeners, I'm Maddie from Ottawa and a great fan of Royfield's podcasts, especially Dumpty Dum in Atlantic. After the US Insurrection podcast, I wanted to ring in to support Laura Babcock and Mick Wright by asking us to watch this space very carefully, because to my mind, the US, North America and actually the whole world had a narrow escape, only because Trump is superbly self-disillusioned, meaning that before November he really believed he would win in the election and therefore did not get his troops organized in time for a real coup. Had he had another term, or if Paris thought he got another term in 2024, he would have been ready to get his militia to take the government hostage and declare him president for life. It is good that he's such a bad business executive and useless organizer, thank goodness for that. He's doing a great job. And um, thank you for the podcast. It's always very interesting to listen to. Well, I couldn't agree more with our caller. I think we have to keep watching this space. There are rumors that Trump wants to start a Patriot Party and maybe have his children run for the Senate. And if it's not his family, there are certainly others who are trying to pick up his audience and trying to keep his MAGA movement going. And so we got a break this time. We got a break because... They thought they had it. When they realized they didn't have it, they tried their coup and they weren't successful. But that by no means suggests that the millions of people that bought into the big lie that Trump was so good at putting out there aren't still wanting to believe that lie and aren't willing to follow somebody else in his footsteps. So I appreciate the call and I agree wholeheartedly. Thank you for that call, Maddie. If you would like to join Maddie by responding to a comment on this episode, why don't you go on to midatlanticshow.com, click the button which says Speak Pipe, um, a little red tab over there on the right, and you can leave a voice note of up to two minutes, which we'll then will include on a future show. So go to midatlanticshow.com, hit the Speak Pipe button, the little red tab over on the right, and leave us your message, which will play on a forthcoming show. Now, on with today's episode. Hello and welcome to Mid-Atlantic, the show where we look at the news and the views from one side of the Atlantic from the perspective of the other. I'm Royfield Brown, who is back in my beloved Bay Area. Today, we are joined by, hmm, it's according to my notes, it says Clint Losey, ex-Capital Staffer. But he's just told us that he's had to go off and do a work call, but he might be joining us later. We have Eric Marcus of Making Gay History Project. TV pundit Laura Babcock in Hamilton in Ontario. We have writer and sage Doug Levy in San Francisco. Emma Burnell, because without her, is this even a mid-Atlantic? I don't know. <laughs> she is a writer and a political commentator in London. Derek Perkinson, my brother from another mother from the National Action Network in New York. And we have my pal, my good friend, Gene Walsh, who is the director of AC Transit in Oakland, California. Say hello, folks. Cheerio, mates. Please raise your right hand and repeat after me. 
I, Joseph Robinette Biden Jr., do solemnly swear. I, Joseph Robinette Biden Jr., do solemnly swear. That I will faithfully execute. That I will faithfully execute. The office of President of the United States. Office of President of the United States. And will, to the best of my ability. Will, to the best of my ability. Preserve, protect, and defend. Preserve, protect, and defend. The Constitution of the United States. The Constitution of the United States. So help you God. So help me God. Congratulations, Mr. Thank President. There is no peace, only bitterness and fury. No progress, only exhausting outrage. And here we stand just days after a riotous mob thought they could use violence to silence the will of the people. It did not happen. It will never happen. Not today, not tomorrow, not ever. Not ever. Yesterday, we had the 59th inauguration ceremony. Joseph Robinette Biden says he wants to unite the country. How can that be done? First off, I'm going to come to you, Doug Levy. Uh, you're a man that likes to take other Americans into his bosom and embrace them warmly. How do you do that, Doug? And then how does your new president fix the divide? It's certainly going to be a challenge because there's a lot of folks who don't seem to be interested in coming together, and that's disappointing. But it is what it is. Biden just has to get to work and do the job and do the job as well as he can. And he's got the experience. He's got the skills. He's brought in some incredible people. And impressively, you know, in a very short time, I mean, literally on day one, they've published 17 executive orders. And uh, on day two, they had a 21 page specific document on what they're going to do about the coronavirus, which is huge. That will make a difference once we start seeing the results of their quick action. Eric, don't we run the risk of each new administration basically taking out a big rubber or eraser for you, you Americans and just rubbing out all of the policies of the last one with a whole flurry of executive actions? Isn't this basically resetting us back to the Obama era? What do you reckon? It is a reset, um, but it's not a reset back to the Obama era. Biden is actually uh, expressing views and, and implementing a policy that's much more along the lines of progressive Democrats, which is what I am. Um, I think that he is doing what Elizabeth Warren would have done and what Bernie Sanders would have done, but he can actually get it done. I don't think he should spend a lot of time trying to bring people together by, I don't know, persuading them that he's doing the right thing. He needs to do the right thing and get it done. And he needs to do what Obama did not. I'm a big Obama fan, but he didn't use the bully pulpit. When he got stymied by things, he didn't use the, his, the power of his speech to go out and get the public to push the Republicans uh, or recalcitrant Democrats to uh, push for the things that he wants to get done. When they get done and done well, they then have to say over and over and over again what they've done. So with Obamacare, Obama thought it was enough, and he said this, it was enough to just get it done without telling people what they did. Welcome to the show, sir. Great first bit of a commentary from you. Gene Walsh, you've just been sworn in. Tell us about that and tell us about exactly what you thought of the speech yesterday. I must admit, and I kind of said this on, on the last show, I was expecting um, a speech which was going to be one for the ages. And I think this is definitely divided opinion. But first off, uh, we spoke yesterday and um, we talked about you being sworn in and the fact that you had to defend, pledge to defend the Constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic. We don't do that nonsense in the UK. People just kind of just get elected to be a councillor or an MP and you just kind of do your thing. So how important is the swearing in? And then tell us about what you thought about that speech yesterday. Well, yeah, I'm a new elected official, first time elected official here in the Bay Area. And I had a swearing in uh, back in December and I really wasn't sure what to expect, but it was all on Zoom just like this. And so I had to stand there and repeat after someone. And, and I was a little shocked. I wasn't, I wasn't sure what I was gonna have to do to, to be sworn in. And I was found myself saying, I promise to defend the constitution against foreign 
and domestic enemies, like you said. And it was a little strange because, I mean, I, I'm a director of a bus agency <laughs> here in the Bay Area. So I wasn't expecting to have to defend the Constitution, but I guess it makes sense. You know, it's interesting. Did you feel equipped to defend the Constitution? In your, in your <laughs> you know, honestly, capacity? the other thing is it said just defend the Constitution of the United States and the California Constitution. I haven't read the California Constitution. Um, so I guess I have to do my homework and, and check, check in on what I agreed to do. I, I, I'm going to pick Royfield up as is unfortunately I'm often by Roland in life because although we don't swear to the constitution you have to pledge allegiance to the queen but that's a good thing though Emma well not for I mean, me she's a she's a woman with a magical hat on and and I sign up for that wholeheartedly I tell you who else also signs up and pledges allegiance to the queen it's Laura Babcock in Canada what did you reckon to the inauguration yesterday Laura were you inspired by by the poet laureate yes hers was the high rhetoric hers was the media cycle afterwards as anderson cooper said she was a talent that became a supernova and so all of the takeaways that inspired where she talked about you have to be brave enough to see it and brave enough to be it and and then she went on a media tour and said hope has to be an internal decision it can't be externalized or given to you it was extremely powerful she even added the fact that hillary clinton apparently said right afterwards that she should run in 2036 and she said right on anderson and Cooper last night that she would, you know, so this is this is a whole new person on the political scene. Uh, that was the high rhetoric that we needed. Biden didn't give us that. What Biden gave us was kind of like a lecture from a kindly grandfather that basically said, OK, smarten up. And the one line that we took away from him was, let's stop this uncivil civil war. Right. He didn't go as far as say it was a civil war. He called it an uncivil war. And really pointing through the fact that if only civility and decency can be returned, if only we can all be a little more circumspect and a little bit more disciplined, you know, then we can get America to a place where it is not vacillating between a terror attack and and then this beautiful pomp and ceremony. I mean, it was almost like, you know, you had to keep shaking yourself yesterday to say, wait, is this what I'm seeing? Because for two weeks, I've seen an attack on the same building and now everything looks fine again. So Biden was really just saying, let's all settle down. Let's take down the temperature. Let's end this incivility. Let's see what we can do to work together. But what really nailed the point was the actual work. I mean, we watched the entire inauguration when Biden swore in a thousand new employees to his team, his speech to them was one of the best speeches of the day where he talked about his values and said he'd fire them on the spot if they lacked decency and respect towards each other. So he showed us that he means it right down to his own staff. And throughout the day, having a press briefing and having the press secretary get up there and reinforce those values. So he showed us, listen, I'm just going to win this by working. And I think that's very different from we were saying, uh, Eric was saying about Obama. Obama would get something done and then kind of retreat into more of a professorial, I don't have to explain myself. Biden's going to talk to us constantly through his press secretaries. I think it, it was what it needed to be. Derek Perkinson over there in New York. Um, Joseph Robin at Biden talked about ending the uncivil war, which is something which uh, Laura uh, mentioned. What's the first thing that you, the new president needs to do to end this uncivil war? Man, we all, we dogged the man who just left the White House, y'all. But what he has done for this country, he, we're about to root out systemic racism on all levels and all disciplines of life. That attack by domestic terrorists they don't like to use those words when it comes to the Caucasian race or the KKK white nationalists. But those domestic terrorists that took lives, a life was taken. That, that police officer, God bless him and his family, beaten with a fire extinguisher. They're going to root out to systemic racism. It's going to be a deep um, digging into all aspects of government. And, and, and the, the executive order he signed, Emma hit a lot of the points I was going to talk, but the executive order he signed for racial equality was very big, very big. And we are very lucky to have Biden. Let me tell you why. He's been a senator for a long time. He's watched a lot of presidents come in and out. He was the vice president for eight years under Obama. So he saw a lot of things Obama was doing that wasn't right, the mistakes he probably made that he would have done differently. We are lucky to have, like she said, an older person, mature, stable leadership that's going to lead us in the right direction. I'm so happy for this new administration with Biden-Harris coming on. And Harris, for the young woman, my daughter, 17, to look at Harris, the most powerful woman in the world, the vice president, it, it's really a testament to this country and the direction we're going in. Now, we're going to have to stem the internal fighting in the Democratic 
uh, caucus. Them guys are going to be fighting internally, but good fights. These are good fights in the word of John Lewis, the good fights. So we're looking forward to eradicating some some of the racism and, and the systems of racism that's in place in America. And it will be done in our lifetime. Uh, Mr. Perkinson, I hope that you get safely to your destination. Talk oh, about a yes. man that's always multitasking. <laughs> you keep your eyes on the road, sir. Right? I am. And, uh... <laughs> I'm a very good driver. I'm a very good driver. Driver says 12. Politicians and interest groups from both sides of the aisle have argued that the new government needs to play a bigger role in getting social media to combat extremism. We've talked about um, that there needs to be some, some level of, of reset. How should this be done? I'm going to come to you, new boy Eric Marcus. How deeply should the government legislate, push, cajole, force, incentivize social media to help he heal the American political divide? What's become so brilliantly clear since Donald Trump has been banned is the enormous power that social media has. We knew already that social media had enormous power, but not, not to the extent that it does. It's been so quiet since, since uh, the Donald was, has been banned. It's just changed. I won't say it's changed everything, but it's, it's certainly changed how I, how I get up in the morning um, and how anxious I feel in the first minutes of the day. Um, the government, the US government has regulated communications forever, if not forever, for a very long time, over television, over telephone, and I see no problem with the government getting into the business of regulating social media as well over the internet. There are ways of doing it. I wouldn't, I wouldn't presume to know how. I think the, the needle can be threaded so that we're not in a situation where we have a president inciting uh, an insurrection against his own government. Doug, I know you're a First Amendment purist. You, you love you love shouting from, from the rooftops over there, Marin, don't you? Freedom, America, all, all the time. So the tech deplatforming of Trump must somewhat rankle with you. You know, are we uh, pushing the QAnon and the extreme right even deeper underground and making their surveillance harder by this deplatforming of the 45th president? Absolutely, but that's the price of having free speech. So. There, there's there's a couple of a couple of different issues, and I think people get them confused, and we do need to separate them out. You've got the First Amendment issue, which is very clear. Government can make no law that it infringes upon the right to free speech. So government should not be regulating the way Twitter or Facebook or anybody else does their business as long as they're doing it in a legitimate and otherwise legal way. And I just want to clarify the regulation of broadcasters that used to control fairness and so on was because broadcast channels were limited. Because it was a limited resource, there, there had to be room for everybody. With digital media, that's no longer the case. So that's why the fairness doctrine and the other broadcast regulations went away. That's proper under the First Amendment. There's really no legal basis to regulate speech. Now, where Twitter messed up big time is they created terms of service. You know, you can't threaten people, you can't do violence and so on, but they didn't administer their own rules in a fair and equitable way. And that's not okay. That's just ethically wrong. And I think that's where we need to hold the social media companies accountable. Make rules, follow your rules, do it consistently, treat everybody alike. It's not based on whether you're Republican or Democrat or something else. It should be, if you promote violence, you don't belong here. The other thing, very quickly, is that from a law enforcement standpoint, there's no question the deplatforming makes law enforcement's job much harder. But that's, again, the price of living in a free society. People are allowed to communicate as long as they're doing lawful actions. Um, one of the wonderful things um, about Mid-Atlantic is that we can compare and contrast. So we have two other key Anglophone country constituents are on this call. So um, you Americans think you invented freedom of speech. Uh, we don't have a First Amendment, do we, Emma? The last time I checked, we can speak pretty freely. What actually is the difference between the American notion of freedom uh, and freedom of speech and the British one? Well, we have regulators um, 
for all of our different types of media. Um, so you have Ofcom for broadcast. There are things you can and can't do. The broadcast rules are stricter um, than the newspaper rules um, still, although there is currently two new very right-wing channels being launched. So we'll see where that all lands in the UK because it, it's quite ironic that we're going to Fox just as uh, America moves from Fox to Newsmax and OAN. <laughs> Uh, we can see the path we're heading down. We're just on the first step of it now. But you also have what many consider to be quite toothless um, regulators of the um, written press, um, who they have a certain code. It's more observed in the breach than it ever is in the actual enforcement. And this obviously exploded quite badly um, about eight or so years ago during the phone hacking scandal. Good, good. Um, Laura Babcock. Uh, we have freedom of expression, which is in our charter, the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms. And, but it doesn't extend, you know, this people have this idea that free speech means you can kind of say anything and get away with it. It actually regulates, it's got boundaries around it, libel, slander, you know, pornography, inciting hate against a group. It's it's fairly detailed. What I found fascinating though, since what happened on January 6th, is a conversation in Canada around self-policing our social media as a nation, which is really interesting, right? Because we don't seem to think, you know, we don't own Twitter and Facebook per se here in Canada, but we're certainly part of those ecosystems. And so what I saw happening uh, was there was a, a politician in Canada who may, used some coded language when he was talking about uh, Trudeau's new cabinet shuffle. And Trudeau came out and got very angry. And I'm just one of the many people who clipped Trudeau. And, and my tweet of Trudeau's comments had over 120,000 views or whatever. It went viral across all kinds of platforms because he said, you know, enough of this crap. We saw what happened in the States. In Canada, we are not going to allow people to use coded language to say they're just asking questions to put out these dog whistles. He said it's up to every Canadian to stop it where they see it. And that was really a call to action that people across the political spectrum respected Trudeau for. And so what we've seen since then is the head of the Conservative Party in Canada proactively distancing himself from the far right and, and then ended up kicking out a member of his caucus because that person took a donation from a person from the far right. So you're almost seeing in Canada, rather than challenge the freedom of expression in the charter, Canadians are saying, we don't want to have what happened on January 6th to happen here. So if we see any politician or anybody playing or, you know, giving a wink and a nod to the far right in this country, we are going to stomp it out. Uh, and it's so it's been pretty amazing to see just kind of almost this consensus across the country. And so some publications in Canada that do play in the far right uh, are under a lot of scrutiny right now. And there's almost a pressure to say, if you do an interview with this publication, you will be branded by their worst reputation. And so I, I think we're going to see Canadians sort of self-police our social. Well said, Sister Jean Walsh. Uh, one of the serious fault lines uh, in this country right now is how people understand America. And then that gets manifested in speech. Um, to some people, America is a country of ideals, democracy, equality, the rule of law and all of that. But to others, America is a country where the rules of rule of law has been bent to protect the interests of a specific racial group. How do we start to get Americans agreeing in actually what America is? People on the right of America say they, they love America, but they, they don't love the diversity of of thought and of religion, et cetera, et cetera. How can we get all Americans to embrace uh, America again? You're asking me that? Yeah. <laughs> You're a newly elected government official. <laughs> You've got to defend the constitution. <laughs> I'll bounce it right back to you. I don't know, that's a hard one. But I, I'm British, so I've got no, technically <laughs> speaking, I've got no skin in the game. All right, hold that thought, Eric Marcus. Yes, to both. That is, <laughs> that is the country. And I don't know how it's possible to bring those two strains together. I sometimes think it's time for the U.S. to disassemble, um, that there are irreconcilable business, uh, differences in this country that make it impossible. Years ago, I saw a map of the U.S. projected ahead to the 300th anniversary of, uh, of independence in the U.S. And it showed the country, um, and, um, 
Canada, you're listening, showed the Northeast and the Midwest joined with Canada, would love it, um, would happily give up my US uh, passport for a Canadian passport. Uh, through Oregon and, and California, Oregon and uh, Washington also joined with Canada. And then other parts of the country just set adrift. Um, but I mean, the problem there is there are good people Eric, everywhere in the country. Eric, I've seen that map too. Do you, you know have. how many emails I'm now going to get? <laughs> I was like, so let's just pause that uh, right now, right? Um, I'm just saying that's why that's the your worst. first problem was going independent, really. I'm saying right. that jokingly because to break up the US would be a, would be a disaster um, on so many levels. Well, and also it would be um, far worse for the people who really want it, which are these you know, people who are marching yes. on the Capitol talking about secession, yes. not realizing that you know most of the time the big cash transfers are going from those richer blue states straight York, into, yeah. uh, into yeah. the poorer southern states. Yeah. To give you a serious answer, there are presently there are irreconcilable differences for a very small minority of the population. But there is a large middle where there's a lot of good work that can be done. And that will help suppress the bottom third or bottom quarter that is intent to do bad things. I like the fact that you've talked about the middle. Um, in the last show, we did mention the middle. Chuck Schumer has got a big job ahead of him, Doug. Um, and we, I think all political sages have basically said that it's those senators who are in the middle. It's your Mitt Romney's, it's your, uh, it's your right uh, wing Democrat from over there, from Western uh, Virginia, who are going to basically really going to chart the path of the Senate kind of going forward. Has Biden only got, what, 18 months, best part of two years worth of an operating window to not only get legislation through, but to help heal, show that the nation has healed to a degree with the Senate. Bear in mind, there still is a filibuster. It's less than 18 months. Um, on the first cabinet secretary that was up for review, uh, the vote was uh, 84 to 10. Um, and at least four of those 10 Republicans who voted against that confirmation have expressed interest in running for president. So they're going to be, they're going to do everything they can to throw sand in Biden's eyes. Um, so he's, he's got to, he's got to appeal to the middle, which is where he's most comfortable and where he is most comfortable. The country is in a mess right now. We need urgent action on the economy, on the coronavirus, and so much more. There will be enough people that Biden, through his own relationships, from having been in the Senate for so long, he will be able to get things done if he is clear about what he's trying to do. And unlike his predecessor, actually comes up with legislation to get it done. The former administration was terrible with the legislature. Hardly anything got through, and not just because of Democrat obstruction, or Republican obstruction, it was that they didn't even try. They didn't understand the way our government works. Biden really understands it. And he sent an immigration bill to the Congress already. Jeannie Walsh, surely the battle for America is going to be fought on the political fringes, the soul of America in the next 18 months. We have that Joe, Joe Biden is going to have pressure from more progressive uh, the more progressive caucus in the Democratic Party. And then we have we're going to have some redefining of a post-Trump or it will even be a post-Trump Republican Party. Which bit of that last uh, statement dressed up as a question is incorrect, if any at all? You know, I, I don't know. I heard something that made me happy this morning. I heard uh, a reference to the former President Trump as our now disgraced former president. And I like that. I think we should keep that. You know, he's a now he's a disgraced former president. And so I think that's the legacy that I hope catches on. I don't know. I, I don't remember what your question was. Can you repeat it? <laughs> I don't even remember it. Don't, don't, don't worry. But 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 you but you've you've cued me up nicely. <laughs> Donald Trump he, he departed with the promise that we will be back. Eric Marcus, in what way, shape, or form will Trump and Trumpism be back, or is it not even uh, exiting stage left, so that be stage right of the American political scene? If Trump comes back to New York, he is welcome back. If he wants to check into a nursing home in New York City post-stroke. Uh, to be cared for by African-American and Hispanic immigrants. Hmm. Um, and, and he can't do anything for himself. 
that's that's what I, I that's how I hope he comes back to New York. Terrible to wish something like that for somebody, but not for him. So I think that uh, with with Trump removed, we already see a splintering among the Proud Boys. I love that <laughs> phrase. It's like gay guys talk about themselves being boys, but these grown men with guns, they're Proud Boys. No, they're little boys. They're little boys. The boys who you fought with in the playground because they were they were miserable little shits. So they're already splintering. They're calling Trump a loser and they don't know what to do. They're not going to support Democrats or Republicans. So I, I think it will play out over time. It's going to take a little while to see exactly what happens. I'm not sure that uh, that Trumpism will succeed over time. I don't think we'll see his uh, his lovely children enter politics in a way that that uh, that makes it possible for to actually be elected. I'm hoping Trumpism, because of this disgrace uh, uh, of what happened at the, the Capitol, will uh, will slink away and crawl under a rock um, and then to be a sheet of concrete with steel over it and uh, left to rot forever after. The uh, Canadian uh, humor show put out a tweet that said, so where were we four years ago before we were so rudely interrupted? Take note of that from Ken Livingstone. <laughs> so I did have a more substantial point on the- Okay, go on then Emma, quickly. Uh, which is, I mean, I wrote a piece this week about um, Ted Cruz and why he's acting so objectively. And he, he, you know, he's just trying to win Trump's base. But the problem is, is this Trump's base think Ted Cruz is a cuck. Uh, I mean, I don't because I even use that word. But, you know, this is a guy who is crawling up the ass of someone who slagged off his wife and his dad. You know, nobody who is as toxically macho as Trump's audience think they are, are gonna think anything of this guy. Um, he's, his strategy is wrong for his audience because he doesn't actually understand them properly. And the idea that Trump, the scorpion, isn't gonna turn around halfway through down that river that Ted Cruz has forced himself down and sting the frog, killing them both, is just ridiculous because it's his nature. Clint Losey. Who's more cynical? Who's the more cynical politician? Who's making that land grab for the Trump base? Is it Josh Hawley or Ted Cruz? Who is the worst of these scorpions who are going to sting you regardless of whether you have drugs? Oh, they are. Um, they are. They both have shovels and they're down in the bottom of a pit and they are just digging deeper, each trying to outdig the other. And when it comes down to it, either one of them would beat the other to death if it meant that they could get the, the front of the Trump lane. No, who is the most aware of policy out of the pit? Serious question. Serious question. Between the two of them? Yeah. So I mean they're both they're both Harvard educated lawyers. I mean, these are not stupid people. I mean, they are they are utterly cynical. So so asking who's who's most um aware of policy is uh, you know, they're both smart enough uh to, to be on top of things. I think Cruz is probably more on top of policy just because he's been there longer and Hawley is coming in uh in an environment where policy has never mattered for him, uh, and, and it's all about positioning and you know diving further and further down to the lowest common denominator to try and win win points with uh, the Trump base. So so Cruz is a little bit ahead, but again, like they are they are just utterly cynical. The both of them. Um, I think the point about the fact that that Ted Cruz was willing to to just continue to suck up to Trump after all of the awful things that Trump put him through, probably gives Ted Cruz the edge in most cynical there. What is that pistol pack and mama from Colorado still in? Is she still I, there? Is she, is, she, she has not been, she has not been got, she has not been censured or, or uh, uh, thrown out yet. But you know, a lot of people think it's just a matter of time. Let's say it's an interesting point to talk about censure. If we're going to have some level of uh, healing, um, in South Africa, there was the Truth and Reconciliation Committee, uh, Commission, sorry. Uh, similar thing kind of happened in, in Northern Ireland uh, to get, uh, get through after the Troubles. What point do we say, right, OK, we need to impeach the 45th and convict? And then do we say, right, we need to move on as a nation? Well, we're hearing a lot, and I agree with it, that there can be really no unity without accountability. 
And the sooner that Biden gets this over with, the sooner Schumer goes ahead and Nancy goes ahead and gets this done, the better, while the memory is still fresh of how close they came a minute away from being sacked as a Senate and who knows what god awful atrocities would have happened. Uh, they need to do it while the wounds are fresh, while the memory of the terror is still there. And it has to be not only done because it's the right thing to do, but it has to be done because then it would prevent, if they took another vote on it, to Trump ever coming back. I mean, the, the rumor being that they're going to start the Patriot Party, the Trump family, and run the kids as senators in Florida, they intend on returning. Uh, and so by barring Trump having any window to that, it, it makes him irrelevant as a voice. It takes away his power within the party to be the kingmaker. And it means that he's really not going to be able to scare us all into thinking he can come back and four years. So they have to do it for a bunch of different reasons. And then once that is done, and then the criminal prosecutions do whatever they're going to do, uh, then that's when Biden can move on. But I think as long as it's left without the accountability for Trump, uh, it's always going to hang over his, his term. He's got to deal with it and move on to his agenda. Clint? I, I think there's a vision for how you do this. And you want, you want the truth, but you also want the reconciliation. And as much as we are worried about how corrupt Trump was with the pardon process, that's actually a great tool that could be used for truth and reconciliation here. He can sick the Department of Justice, and Merrick Garland is an excellent figure for, for this, um, to, to go after and to, to uh, investigate and to dig up everything and to create a public record of everything. And then all of the people who are implicated in those crimes and all that malfeasance and corruption have a choice. They can be part of the reconciliation. They can, you know, cooperate and, and provide all the information they have, in which case they get a pardon. And if they don't want to cooperate, they can be prosecuted. And I think that that's a great power, a, a great use of the pardon power. That's part of actually how the founders intended the pardon power to be used. I must admit the whole kind of pardon power thing, uh, from a, considering that that's a, a monarchical hangover in your uh, presidential system, which obviously c comes from us, from, from, from the British, it's the most bizarre thing. Nothing as crazy in it or as uh, arbitrary goes on. Uh, in, in British law in such a, a naked way. Uh, but, but moving on, you, you mentioned um, a commission. One of the interesting things for me uh, when the Senate were certifying uh, the election results was Mitt Romney said, to those people that believe that the election was stolen, will a commission uh, do the job of convincing them? And I say to you, no. Right. So let's go back to one of my original questions and really the whole point of, of this show. How can we get, let's say, those 25 percent of Americans who believe that the last uh, election was stolen, that um, not that all Democrats are paedophiles and have uh, children in dungeons, but they believe that some pretty nasty things about their fellow Americans how can we get that rump of Americans to believe in shared facts? And I think I'm going to come through to all of you and then we're going to say tatty bye, uh, which is a, a quaint way in England of saying goodbye. Emma Burnell, you held your hand up. Yeah, um, I might reframe the question. How much do you care about getting them to believe differently? And how much do you just go, you know what, move the conversation on? If it's 25% of Americans, let's say it's 50% of Republican voters, right? It's not all, but it's 50%, right? That's a lot of Americans. We had record turnouts for the last election. You could say it was a shining example of democracy, but then it also led to the storming of the Capitol. It's a lot of Americans, but there's a lot of Americans believe a lot of bizarre things. I mean, this is not unique to America. Lots of people believe a lot of bizarre things. I don't think the way to do that is spend all of your energy trying to convince them they're wrong. What you do is spend all of your energy moving the conversation on. And but they will then let me finish. You never let me finish. <laughs> Then they just say they're ignored. They say they're ignored. They are going to say that anyway, because you cannot get to a point where their truth is your truth. So they will always feel that bit ignored. Now, some of them will get off the moment and fall away and come back into same sanity. Some of them will stay in insanity and they will always live there. Um, but the thing you do is make that group smaller and smaller, not by paying it more and more attention. Um, and just before I finish, Jean, did you get assigned your dungeon full of children when you had to take that constitutional oath? 
<laughs> you know, I have to say though, I do agree. With, I'm just going to jump in while the, I, I agree with you every now and then I live, I live in a liberal bubble. I, I'm in the Bay area and my friends and my social media is all very progressive every now and then when I want to see what the right is thinking, I don't, I, I pop onto my high school Facebook group. People that I went to high school with that I like, they're nice people. They have families. We went to school together. We played soccer, whatever. I never played soccer, but you know, uh, you get the picture. I go to my most right-wing ex-high school friends pages and they are living in another world. I mean, everything that we're talking about, they're not talking about. They're talking about Benghazi and the emails still. I mean, they're talking about all these things that I'm like, what world are you living in? What are you watching on TV? Where are you getting these ideas? And so every now and then I try to throw a little bit of a correction in there and I get swarmed. And so, you know what? Never mind. Never mind. I'm not going to change their mind. It's not even worth it. But I do like to pop in there and see what they're thinking and what they're talking about, but just a losing battle. So, so never mind. Leave them behind. Move on. Is it really a losing battle if uh, the Democrats have just won a historic election where they have all three branches of government? It's not a losing battle. And I think we need to continue uh, to try and engage with uh, right-leaning uh, Americans, Brits, Germans, whoever. Uh, ultimately, we need to reclaim the commons where we can actually talk civilly to people we disagree with. Clint Losey, you're going to back me up and say, Royfield, that's the best truth bomb I've heard in this podcast. Royfield, that is the best truth bomb I've heard in this podcast, but it has to be predicated on um, the ability to, to, to debate ideas in good faith. Like, I mean, we can have different ideas. We can, we can, we can talk about things, um, uh, you know, different perspectives and everything, but but you can't you can't engage in the commons if if the other side is not even willing to accept the basic premises that, that you're uh, you're going to debate and and when those premises are just uh, the premises that that they embrace are just I mean totally divorced um, from fact or reality I, I I don't think that there is an obligation there to engage with that because you can't do it honestly you can't. Uh, you, you can't engage with that in a way that's productive or honest. So two things on this, and from a PR, this is really PR we're talking about, right? How do you move their beliefs and blah, blah. Uh, I always tell my clients, don't worry about the lovers. They love you anyway. Don't worry about the haters. You're not going to change their mind. Expand the squishy middle. Get them to buy in. And the, the squishy middle, fly over America, the red states, all the stuff you're talking about, Get them with policy, improve their lives, help with the opioid crisis, for God's sakes. Get their hospitals to a place where they can function again. Bring them the kind of supports that Biden was elected on. Don't worry about the extreme left of the party screaming at you to, you know, to fund the police and everything right down to their, their absolute desires. Take some of what they're doing, put in police reforms, give people the kind of society, the fairness, the equity, financial justice, all just give them what you know will make it a decent society and pieces, people's beliefs will become less extreme. Didn't we just accuse Obama of not using the bully pulpit? I forget who who, who said that earlier. And, and and we're saying that we want Biden to also have you. you... I'm, saying that. I'm not saying that, Royfield. I'm saying he's got to match the policies. There's no room for just uh, pie in the sky rhetoric or trying to navigate extreme positions. Hold on a sec. It was George W. Bush who said yesterday that the only person who could have possibly gotten elected was Biden because Biden's going to work hard, going to try to bring everybody in with his practical grandpa stuff. And maybe I'm paraphrasing a bit, but but that's the point, right? Enough of the rhetoric, enough of the social media. Uh, what did Biden call it? Exhausted outrage. Let's just make policies that improve lives and see if people don't start stop raving about no, crazy. I, I like that. It's showing people through your rhetoric and your action how to be right. And that's I'm not arguing against doing that. I'm saying don't spend all your time talking about the battle that's just been won. Move on to the next thing. And people will move on with you once you show that that's what works. And that's what a bully pulpit can really do. Mm. Doug, you were exhausted with all the rhetoric of the last four years, weren't you, Doug? You're a solid centrist kind of Democrat, really, aren't you, Doug? You you appreciate um, the, the fact that people come with different ideas, have different beliefs, but you like to sit them down, give them a glass of wine and talk through those issues. That's the way that America's going to heal in the next four years, isn't it, Doug? Oh, I wish. 
I mean, I, I made the mistake of trying to engage with some of my right-wing acquaintances yesterday, and um, whoa, did I get burned. And I should know better, but it it was an interesting little experiment. And I think what uh, what uh, Emma and Laura said is, and, and Clint, absolutely right. You know, what Biden needs to do is get the job done so that whether the people say they're happy or not, they at least are having better lives, because that's key. We're not going to be able to change the extreme right-wing news channels. I mean, one of the newly popular news channels didn't even cover the inauguration. Their front page was... say that Chris Wallace, uh, key on Fox yesterday, said best inauguration speech is ever heard. Yes, and he's been to everyone since 1961, or has listened to everyone since 61. That was pretty cool. But that's not where the extremists are getting their information from anymore. Um, One America News, their front page was Trump leaves Washington, not Biden sworn in. Um, and, and, and that's the reality. There's let them be. We're not going to win them over. A couple of things, though. They're not just in isolated pockets. I had an encounter here in Blue Bubble Marin County yesterday with somebody who doesn't believe any of the things that we've been talking about. So splitting the states won't do it. Also, the lawmakers who bought into and promulgated the lies do need to be dealt with. They do need to be held accountable. So Hawley and Cruz in particular, the senators, particularly the senators on the Republican side, are going to have to own it and deal with their own people. That's not something Biden can do. But lawmakers have to be held to a proper standard where they are held accountable for upholding their oath to protect and defend the Constitution of the United States. And haven't we seen the rise of fascism? It always seems to be, uh, there's always a prelude of economic instability, right? And the blame of the other for the for the situation. You have to address economic justice. It, it, that I mean, we're always going to have the appeal of fascism and other extremes when people don't feel as though their lives are working for them. I mean, it, it's not that complicated. I think Biden's just simple, work hard all day, tell us what you're doing all day long and just do it, right? All right, Clint, uh, you're, you're going to end, end proceedings, Clint. Throw a warm blanket over all of us, because I, I, I don't know, I don't know. I feel slightly at variance with, with, with my panel for a change. Uh, that's, a, that's, a, that's a lot of responsibility, um, but I, 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 I will try to live up to you're it. person enough um, to shoulder it, though, Clint, don't let me down, sir. I just, I just want to follow, I mean, I, I want to kind of go just slightly into the weeds on something um, that, that plays off of what, what Laura and Emma is it, and Doug is and others have said. Is it with us all being in a happy place? Then you can take us there. Uh, I wanted to, to, to just make the point that, that everything that's being said is, is, is part of why we need to get rid of the filibuster. And I know that's slightly wonky, and I know that's a little bit inside baseball, but it really is about making people's lives better through legislation. And one of the problems with the filibuster is not just that it holds up legislation, but it does allow folks on both sides to make huge promises that they know they never have to keep. And it allows people uh, in the opposition to make drastic claims about what they prevented and why they should come back or why they should be voted back into the office. So so it really contributes to a lot of the uh, just just outsized, outrageous um, you know, hyperbole that's behind all of politics. I think that we could get to a world that Laura and Emma and others are talking about, and Doug, Doug were talking about, particularly with accountability to, uh, to lawmakers, uh, by making them vote on things. Like, it should matter. Elections should matter. And if uh, Democrats want to keep uh, the progress, they, can, they need to turn out. And if Republicans have to live uh, under all of the Democratic uh, initiatives that do get passed and do enact in the law, they can see how bad it really is, or, for example, in the case of Obamacare, how good it really is. So I think that one of the one of the ways forward here is to to actually to go forward and to really demonstrate what what big ideas are capable of when you enact them into law. Mm. Um, I don't think that was too wonky at all. And uh, one of my earlier questions, I actually did m- mention the filibuster. I think it, it's key key to move, moving America on. I think symbolically, um, and, and maybe Doug can speak to this, the filibuster uh, is, in, I suppose, was, was important symbolically 
to say that there is such a groundswell, uh, groundswell, sorry, of opinion for this bit of legislation, and that actually it needs to be bipartisan. There needs to be some level of the other party coming along with it. And uh, but, however, it's been used just to gum up the works and to stop politics actually happening in your great country, in the great country where, where I'm sat right. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Now. Mr. President, Dr. Biden, Madam Vice President, Mr. Emhoff, Americans, and the world. When day comes, we ask ourselves, where can we find light in this never-ending shade? The loss we carry, a sea we must wade. We've braved the belly of the beast. We've learned that quiet isn't always peace. And the norms and notions of what just is, isn't always just is. And yet the dawn is ours before we knew it. Somehow we do it. Somehow we've weathered and witnessed a nation that isn't broken, but simply unfinished. We, the successors of a country and a time where a skinny black girl descended from slaves and raised by a single mother can dream of becoming president only to find herself reciting for one. And yes, we are far from polished, far from pristine, but that doesn't mean we are striving to form a union that is perfect. Right. I don't know how a day after uh, a wonderful inauguration ceremony, it wasn't soaring rhetoric, uh, but we had a, a wonderful poet laureate, Garth Brooks. The seams on his jeans were amazing. And I, and I thought also um, it wasn't just symbolically important, but really good to see uh, an avowed Republican like Garth Brooks, a country and Western singer, hugging Barack Obama and Michelle Obama, right? Um, maybe I'm just too much uh, unicorns and rainbows and whatever, but I says, you know what? There's a sl tiny slither of hope for this country in that action. And he made a point of hugging a whole load of those democratic uh, ex-presidents and, and politicians and stuff. You know what we um, haven't talked about real quick? The Bernie memes. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Laughter for days. There's so many beautiful Bernie memes out there. If you haven't seen them, check them out. You will, you will laugh. Eric, you're, you're a man that likes fashion. Are, are you going to get yourself a pair of mittens like Bernie? <laughs> <laughs> Those mittens are the two most hideous things. I would bury them under the rock with, with Trumpism, um, if I could. The fashion was just, uh, I have to say that yellow Prada coat. Yes. On our poet laureate was brilliant with her red hairband. Um, I give her the award for the best uh, outfit on top of her gorgeous hand motions and her beautiful words. How about all the long coats and slip dresses, the monochromatics, gorgeous. Did you notice they didn't really promote Garth Brooks? They, they kind of 
peppered him in there to, I think, to Royfield's point, show that the arms were open, that Republicans are welcome on that dais as well, which I thought was pretty cool. Mm. Up on Wikipedia, I don't think Garth Brooks is a Republican. Um, I don't think he's ever declared an allegiance to either party. He's also been an advocate for quite a few progressive causes, worked closely with Jimmy Carter on Habitat for Humanity and LGBT rights for 20 right. years. That could well be. I'm going to bow to your quick Wikipedia. Only because I was like... He feels like he should be a Republican. Even came in with the hat and stuff, big, so like the optics were good. Oh, dare I say it? 80% of his audience are most probably red state dwelling Republicans. Yeah, and I'll absolutely give you that. Absolutely, yeah. Thank you. Somebody's given me something on this uh, post-inauguration uh, Mid-Atlantic. Jean Walsh, uh, how was your first time dipping your toe into Mid-Atlantic waters? How was it for you, my dear? Well, I'll tell you what. Honestly, I would have liked to know who is on this call with me. I'm kind of figuring out right now well, as I look at my phone on Twitter start. to see who everybody to is. When I when I said so, we have Clint Losey, F Capitol Hill staffer. So you need to pay attention at the start. Eric Marcus, my new best gay friend. Don't say that we don't like a little bit of diversity and tokenism on this show. We've got we've got a gay on here. So well, well I'm done. A token Canadian, come on. <laughs> Emma Burnell, how, how was it for you this week? Oh, it was great. Thank you. I enjoyed it very much. And will you be coming back next week when we do the, the Brit version of this? Yes, I will be. Smashing. And will you tell me to let you speak yet again? You it did the... talking over me, absolutely, yeah. Smashing, <laughs> smashing. Uh, Laura Babcock, I'm sat here in California. The sun is out, the sky is blue. It's lovely and warm. How cold is it in Hamilton? <laughs> You know what? It's pretty warm here. We're Southern Ontario. We're further south than a lot of places in the States. But today we're like maybe minus five. I'm talking Celsius here. So whatever that is for you guys. And I have to tell you this, Prime Minister Trudeau's former chief of staff just tweeted out, it's the 21st day of the 21st year of the 21st century today, which is kind of cool. I hadn't realized that. And then went on to say we're spending our time commenting on Bernie memes. So, <laughs> Clint. You came in late, but you but you made an impression. Uh, how was your client? Did you manage to mollify them? Have you got a new client? Have you swung the contract? Have you got more money out of them? How did that go, Clint? Uh, I have not been fired yet. Thank you for thank you for letting me tend to actually keeping my job. It is going to be the next thing I do uh, right after we hang up here. I'm going to have to work very frantically to, uh, to to make sure I still have it tomorrow. Doug, we always leave the best till last. What are you going to do for the rest of your day, Doug? Um, I'm actually going to be following uh, in Clint's footsteps and uh, jumping to take care of my clients who are uh, excited because there's going to be some real action against the coronavirus, which is what the people that I work with are have been dealing with for most of the last year. And it's all about saving lives, which is kind of important. Doug, for, for people who are watching this on YouTube, and there'll be, a, there'll be a couple of hundred, you know, most people download the podcast. So this bit's going to be somewhat irrelevant. But like... You have perplexed me in, in this episode, sir, because that is not your background. Normally, when people have backgrounds, it's something inspiring. It's something kind of like hip and cool. I am not in this hip and cool cafe behind me, very obviously. But you have this, you have an office behind you as your backdrop when surely you're in an office anyway. Um, I have been rearranging my uh, home office, so uh, the, uh, the the green screen I'm using is not in its usual position, which is also why my lighting is not quite the way it should be. And um, soon I will have a full office set up where I won't need to use a backdrop. But uh, So this is the office that you inspire to one day inhabit that's behind you? Yes, clean and organized. Smashing. There and may go. I say, Royfield, I'm using a banal backdrop because my usual living room backdrop, we haven't cleaned up from the party yet from yesterday. We did like a 15 hour inaugural party. So just the family, the pizza boxes are still there. <laughs> Folks, there you go. Clean and organized, a metaphor for the Biden administration. For the next four years, America is going to be clean and organized. And so are we at Mid on Mid-Atlantic. So Gene Walsh, Eric Marcus, Emma Burnell, Laura Babcock, Clint Losey and Doug Levy. Tati Bai, thank you for joining me and making the last hour highly enjoyable, but also informative. Don't forget, folks, left to centre politics is right politics. Be good to each other. Stay safe. 
And you know what? Don't listen to the panel. Talk and engage with your right-leaning friends. And if, you know, the power of persuasion doesn't corral them into the right way of thinking, slap them over the head and ignore them. But first try, try, try and try again. Ta-ra. Whoop, 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 whoop. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.